I told the team before he came out, um, excuse me, um, when, my, when I was a little boy, my dad, um, he could say the same thing different ways and it meant different things. Does that make sense? In other words, it wasn't enough just to understand what he was saying. I needed to understand the tone. For instance, if he were to say, Josh, sit down, then I would know he wants me to sit down. But if he were to say, Joshua, sit down, then I know he wants me to sit down now. The tone is different. And I feel like the tone, it's, I, did not, I didn't even, I knew Lee was coming, but I didn't know all that he was going to say. I knew he was going to talk about the retreat, and I'm encouraging you to come and be a part of that. But the tone of this morning has been, uh, has been two things, healing and hope. That's the tone of the Spirit for this morning. It's not just the subject that I want to talk about, but that's the tone, which is to say that is what is on the Father's mind. He, uh, you know, the Lord is omnipresent, which is to say he's everywhere. He's everywhere all the time, and yet there are times that there is a manifest presence of the Lord. And that's when his presence is focused upon one place or upon one idea or one theme. And I believe this morning that the focus of the Lord for Truvine, for this place this morning, is healing and hope. So if you've come here and you need some healing, you need some hope, you are in the right place because God had you on his mind before you got here. This past week, um, it, it, the, the last several weeks, I should say that way, have been incredibly tumultuous. Uh, to say the least, in the spirit, and I have had multiple, and I mean multiple, I don't mean three or four, I have had multiple people that have reached out and said, man, I need prayer. Uh, I feel broken. Man, I need prayer. I'm struggling. Man, I need prayer. My family's struggling. Or, you, the list goes on and on. If you can think it, it probably, probably was said to me this week, and finally it came to a, a, a little bit of a climax on Friday, and I came here and I sat down back at my desk, and, at my, and mom had come to get the keys uh, to the bus um, for Jody. Thank you for doing that. Uh, if he's, thank you. Uh, is he back there? He's here somewhere. Thanks for doing that and driving the bus and getting the batteries charged and stuff. But I sat there at my desk and mom came in and I was just weeping. I said, Mom, how do I, uh, with all, in the face of all that I've dealt with this week, not just personally, but, you know, when you, when you try to be a shepherd, uh, he's the good shepherd. We're just, we're just trying to help. Man, you, you carry stuff. And you learn that the more that you carry, uh, if you're not careful to have an outlet, then it, it'll bog you down so much. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The bad thing is if you don't have an outlet. And the outlet for me has always been, it used to be talking to my mentors, and all of my mentors have died. So uh, now it's just pouring out my tears and my, and my time for the Lord. But I said, Mom, I don't know how to give. I don't, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Give them hope? You know? And I looked down, and this is my father's Bible that he had for so many years. You can tell it, was, it is well used. And when I put it back there on my desk, it has stayed open to this page that I've not read. I just opened it and left it open and just felt like, Lord, if you want to tell me something out of this. And I looked down and glanced, and at the bottom of this page, he wrote in the margin, hope is anchor. I literally said to my mom, Mom, what am I supposed to do? Like, just try to give them hope? And I glanced, she can witness to it, and I glanced, and I said, look at this. And I turned the Bible around and said, look what I just read from Dad's Bible. Hebrews chapter 6 is where this, where this Bible was. And I'm going to read, I want to read from the Passion Translation this morning. I don't want to read both translations for the sake of time. Starting in verse thing, now verse 13. I'm going to talk today about unshakable hope as the anchor of our souls. Unshakable hope as the anchor of our souls. Hebrews 6, 13. Now when God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his, mighty, on his own integrity 
to keep the promised as sure as God exists. So he said, have no doubt, I promise to bless you over and over and give you a son and multiply you without measure. So Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled. Now we read that in a matter of seconds, but in all actuality, this took years and years and years to happen. I told you before, suddenly it's happened like this, but they take a whole lot of time to develop. So Abraham waited patiently until he saw the promise fulfilled. It is very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves. For the oath will confirm their statements and end all dispute. So in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit his promises. His purpose was unchangeable, so God added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. You ought to take hope in knowing that his promise to you will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time and unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm behind the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, is and has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priesthood, like after the order of Melchizedek. When the Bible calls here Jesus a forerunner, it also means a trailblazer. Jesus has blazed a trail for us to enter into the sacred chamber and seize the hope that has been fulfilled in his eyes already to have a company of king priests who will dwell with him in the holy of holies and minister from there out to the nations of the earth. And the clear implication of 19 through 20 is that he takes us in to share his throne and ministry as the royal priest. What is it? That holds us together when life seems to be falling apart. What is it? I'm not talking about an idea, and I'm definitely not talking about a program, but an immutable truth. Where do you turn when you have nowhere else to turn? When all the cards are on the table and all the arguments have been made, where do you go? A better question might be, is there a kingdom precedent that we can reference when life seems to be coming apart at the seams. When we are in the middle, not where we were and certainly not where we want to be. Not quite morning, not quite midnight, but right there in the middle. Not living in yesterday, not quite in tomorrow. What holds on to us when we have nothing to hold on to? The answer here is in Hebrews 6. It's the word hope, which is the Greek word elpis. It means to anticipate and usually with pl pleasure. It means to have expectation or confidence. It means to anticipate with pleasure. It's the picture of pregnancy. Hebrews 6 calls hope the anchor of our souls. The anchor of our souls. Imagine a cord tied to your soul. And the other end of that cord 
is an anchor. And the Bible says explicitly that the anchor of our souls is the mercy seat. That means no matter where our soul seems to be drifting, it is firmly tied to the throne of grace. When troubles arise and heartbreak comes, we are anchored to the mercy seat. When we can't seem to make it through the day without falling apart, still we're anchored to the mercy seat. When all hell seems to be breaking loose around us, all of heaven breaks too because we are anchored to the mercy seat. When sorrows of hell compass us about and the hounds of hell are barking, we are anchored to the mercy seat. When I'm descending into the gaping jaws of death and defeat, I know that I will come out because I'm anchored to the mercy seat. This is our hope in the anchor of our souls. And hope is not a vague, abstract thought. It's a heavenly reality, and it's tied to his promise. Verse 17 through 19 says, God wanted to end all doubt concerning his promises, and he wanted to confirm it so much to those who would inherit his promise that his purpose was unchangeable, that he added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. We know that his promise and vow will never change. My question to you is, what has he promised you? What has he promised you? What has the Lord spoken to you? What has he said to you that no one else has said that did not come from man but came from God that seems to be fading away? We have now run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. God wanted to end all doubt, so he swore by himself. He said, as surely as I'm God, as surely as I live, my promise will come to pass. I told you before that Hebrews 11, 11 says, By faith Abraham received strength to conceive seed when she judged him faithful. That promised literally what she did was she took her eyes off the promise and said, Wait a minute, my eyes now are going to be focused on the promiser because the promise is as good as the promiser. And God wanted you to be so confident in his promise that he gave his promise promise a vow and said, well, I can swear by no other. I swear by myself. What I promise you is going to come to pass. No enemy in hell, no devil in hell can take the promise away that God's given you. It's what caused Sarah to have a baby after her womb was dead and useless. It's what caused Abraham to become the father of nations, though he was childless in his old age. It's what caused Isaac to be spared and a ram to be provided as a sacrifice. It's what opened Jacob's eyes to see that there was a heavenly connection tied to his earthly purpose. It's what kept three Hebrew boys from being devoured by flames when they were thrown into the fire. It was the wind behind David's stone and and the power in Moses' staff and the strength in Samson's hair. It is the promise, the word of God. God cannot lie. He has said it. He'll do it and nothing will stop it. That is the anchor of our hope and it's tied to the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat is the blood of the lamb. And it speaks of a better promise than even that that was spoken in the Old Testament. It speaks of better things. So what has God promised you? What has he promised you? It seems like it could not and will not come to pass. 
you're anchored to his promise and his vow. And Jesus Christ the righteous ever liveth to make intercession for us to the Father who is seated on the mercy seat. And he says, you're anchored to my throne. You're anchored to my place of authority. So what has he promised you? Here's a promise for you to hold on to. I'm going to read this. I'm really moving through this quickly because I believe it needs to. And I declare this prophetically over you in this moment. This is Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 19 through 21 from the Message Bible. This is what God says. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean. The God who carves a path through pounding waves. The God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and then they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget what's happening and don't keep going over old history. Be alert and be present because I'm about to do a new thing. <laughs> Isn't it bursting out? It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road right through the desert. Rivers in the badlands. Wild animals will say thank you and the coyotes and the buzzards because I have provided water in the desert. Rivers through the sun-baked earth. And drinking water for the people that I choose. That's what he does. Any of you ever had a soul that was parched and dry and thirsting to death? And all you wanted was just to have a small drink of water. And the Lord says, don't worry about the desert. I'm not just going to bring you out of the desert while you're in the desert. I'm going to cause a river to flow to you in your desert. This is, the, this is our hope. This is the anchor of our souls that the one who promised is as good as his word. He said, I'm so good that I'm going to tie my vow to my promise, which essentially says, as long as I live, the promise lives too. That's what he said. He couldn't swear by any greater. As long as I live, my promise lives too. Here's the promise. Wild animals say thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards, because I have provided water in the desert and rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people that I choose, the people I made especially for myself, a people custom-made to praise me. His promise is our anchor. It's not a blind hope, but it's a promise. I feel like today is just a big exhale. Whew. You ever gone through something and you've been facing something and at some point in your battle you just kind of step back and go. <sighs> you take a long deep breath. You breathe in his glory and then you breathe out and you're ready. Hey, William, would you play something? Or Eli, you can play something on the keys. Eli's been doing well with that. We'll let Eli play. I'm almost finished. I really hurried through this. I wanted Lee to preach. He did, in fact. Matthew, that he is the God that provides hope to the hopeless. He's a God that gives promise in the midst of death. He's the God that brings beauty for ashes. When I read from the scripture that our hope chains us to the mercy seat. And I thought about everything that went into that mercy seat, which is the death and the burial, 
the resurrection, the ascension, and the coronation of Jesus Christ. I thought, my, wait a minute, you're telling me my promise is tied to the one that died and rose again and ascended and, or was resurrected, was ascended and was coronated and sits at the right hand of the throne of God? My hope is tied to that? That's a real hope. That's not me just, that's not me just blindly hoping something happens and believing. That's me saying, wait a minute, there's a substance to the hope that I have. And that substance is the throne of God himself. Which means as surely as God is the one in authority, my hope is just a secure. An unshakable hope. Have you ever felt your soul drifting? Have you ever felt your soul drifting? I had people on the phone this week that said, man, I just, I feel like I haven't felt God in years. I just feel myself drifting. You know, and my answer is, it's okay. Because you're tied to the, the anchor of your soul. And the other end of that is his mercy seat. I had people on the phone this week that says, life has beaten me up. It's amazing to me that when Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat, that he was in the boat with professional fishermen who were afraid of the storm. That tells me that must have been some storm. These men spent their lives fishing, and yet there arises such a storm in their lives that they become afraid. And Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat. Why is he asleep? Because Jesus knew that the storm on the outside would never be able to conquer the peace that he had on the inside. And, and when, we be, when we get defeated is when we allow outside circumstances to ruin or to invade the, the place of peace that's inside of us. Josh, I feel broken. I don't know what the answer is. And I feel my soul drifting. I don't know where God is. I can promise you. He's just on the other end of that cord that's tied to your soul sitting on the mercy seat saying I've already I've already made a way I've already prepared for you to sit with me in heavenly places I mean you know it we read these scriptures and they're not powerless they're powerful and yet if we read them quickly we can we, we miss how potent the power is in this I mean to think that he told a woman you're gonna have a baby and she doesn't have that baby until she's 90 If there were a 70 or 75-year-old woman in here and I walked up to her and said, the Lord says that you're going to have a baby, every one of you would look at me like I have lost my mind. And I told her husband who was, that you're going to have a, you're going to have a son probably about the time you turn 100. I mean, none of us are close. To, probably Rich would be the closest one to 100 in here. If I were to tell Rich, you and Judy, you and Miss Judy about to have another baby. That's exactly what Sarah did. She laughed. She laughed. But God is as good as his word. And he said, surely I will return to you this time, about this time next year. And you will have a son. And God was so, he's so funny, but he's so wise that he named, he named that son Isaac. He said, call him Isaac, which means laughter because she laughed at the promises. God doesn't care if you scoff at the promise. He, in fact, he doesn't care if you laugh at the promise because it's not your word that's at stake. It's his integrity, and it's his word that's at stake. So if he said it, you can laugh about it, but he's going to cause it to come to pass. 
anything that is tied to his purpose for your life, he will not let it be destroyed. And even if it comes to death, he'll bring resurrection because his purpose is more powerful than your pain, my God. It does not matter. It does not matter what the circumstances around you look like. God specializes in doing the impossible. Matthew, run up here real quick, if, if you can run, at least walk at a, at a fast pace. And uh, Samuel, you'll do. Come up here and help me. I want you to stand up there on stage. And Samuel, you come right here. Now that's as close to Goliath as you were ever going to see in the natural realm. Just imagine that this is legs and not a stage, and this is David. Now, I'm taking bets, and I want to know this morning, how many are going to play, wager, place your wagers on this little guy defeating this guy? Really? I want to know. Anybody, anybody in their right mind that's not using the mind of the Spirit say, this is, this is dumb. This is not even worth betting on. It's so ridiculous. And yet God calls us a little boy named David to defeat an undefeated giant so that he could make him the king of Israel. David wasn't even afraid of the giant. That's what's crazy. Why? Because before anybody saw what David was doing, he was out by himself defending some sheep and a lion comes to take one of the sheep. And he knew it's my job to protect the sheep. That's what good shepherds do. So I'm going to go after that lion. And with nobody knowing, with no fanfare, with no championship belt, he takes the lion out. The same thing happens when a bear comes. And this little David, who was probably a teenager, maybe a little bigger than Samuel, but not much bigger, he takes the bear out. So by the time Goliath presents himself, David already knew that that giant can't stand before me. The only one in Israel that knew who was going to win that day was little David. You might be the only one still believing in your promise, but don't stop believing in the promise because God will be the wind behind the stone that will take down your giant. Thank you. When Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to have the Messiah, yes, the long-awaited Messiah that every Hebrew knows about, the only person in earth that knew for a fact that she was carrying the Messiah was Mary. In fact, when she went to tell her husband about it, her betrothed husband, he didn't even believe her. Sometimes the promise that God gives you, your closest friends and maybe possibly your own spouse won't believe you. But don't you let go of the promise. Because if God has to send an angel and wake him up in the middle of the night and say what she's carrying, it is, it is of God. You get, what, get on board with what I'm doing, then he'll do it. My husband hadn't heard from God in years. Then you just say, Lord, if you can do it for Mary, you can do it for my husband. If you can send an angel to tell my husband what I've got is important, you can do it with my, you can do it with my husband too. Don't you give up on the promise. Don't you dare, don't you dare give up on the promise because the promise is just as good as the promiser because God's integrity and his vow and his words at stake. If he promised you a hope and he promised you a future and according to Jeremiah 29, 11, he did, then don't you give up on that hope. Don't give up on the promise. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Don't worry about how you're going to get there. You're anchored to the throne. And so wherever the throne goes, you're tied to it. We have this hope. We have this hope, William, as the anchor of our souls. The anchor is the throne of grace, the mercy seat. Do you think 
that God doesn't see you weeping in the night? Do you think that God doesn't see your brokenness? Jeremy told us years and years ago, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again, but God could. The first message of this year that I released in this house was, but God. The second message that I released in this year was, God's making all things new. Do you remember? All things new. And today, the message that I released to this church is, we have this hope. We have this hope as the anchor of our souls. Now, my soul's drifting, and I haven't felt his presence. It's okay. Because the other end of this chain is tied to his throne. When he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He said, my promise will come to pass. He essentially said, my promise comes to pass or I'm not God. In fact, the Bible says that God honors his word above his name. And if he's given you, if he's given you his word, then stand fast on the word. Imagine a man in the old covenant taking his son up to sacrifice and having the faith to say, because God promised me this son, and now I see the promise. If God makes me kill him like he told me to do, I know that he'll bring him back from the dead. Because God spoke this promise to me. Some of you have already realized the promise, and yet the promise seems to be dead and laying at your feet. Well, that's okay. Jesus says to Martha one day, he didn't say, Martha, I come to bring resurrection. And he didn't say, Martha, one day I'm going to have a resurrection. And he didn't say, Martha, I'm talking about, he said, Martha, I am. I am the resurrection. That means where I am, no death can remain. You walking in some, through, some, through some dead things, invite the Lord into that with you. Say, Lord, I'm walking through this seems to be dead relationship. So what I'm asking you to do is to come into this dead relationship because where the Spirit of the Lord comes, just like he overshadowed the cold dead body of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden the firstborn from among the dead sit up in that grave because his word was at stake. What promise has God made you? What do you believe for? He gives beauty for ashes. Ashes. Think about ashes. You take and burn these steps here and all ashes are left. I challenge any of you to make stairs out of those ashes. You can't do it. But God can. But God can. That's all staying. I'm finished. I don't want to belabor the point. Some of you have walked in through the loneliest, driest season of your life. And if that's you, I want you to come up here to the front. Some of you feel something, a heavy burden in your chest. And when I was preaching, you felt it right here. And you're, and you're saying, Lord, I, I, need, I need this hope to ground me and to establish me. I need this promise. If that's you, I want you to come up here to the front. If you're in ministry and, and God's perfectly fine and you guys are good, I want you up here to help me pray with those that come. Is absolutely zero need to be embarrassed. If you're walking through a season of brokenness in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, it don't matter what the context is. God heals broken people. I want you up here at the front.
if you know someone that is a close friend or a close relative and you're good but they're not, you can stand in proxy for them. Come on up to the front. God wanted to end all doubt and confirm forcefully those that would inherit his promises that his purpose was unchangeable. So he added his vow to the promise. And now we've run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. Our hope is in his promise. Our hope caused Sarah to have a baby after her womb was dead and useless. It caused Abraham to become the father of nations, though he was childless. It caused Isaac to be spared and a ram to be provided as a sacrifice. And this morning, it's that hope. It's that promise. Father, that we pray goes into the heart of each person that stands up here. You spoke this morning early, Lord, that the tone of the Spirit this morning was healing and hope. And then Pastor Lee came to talk about healing of the heart. I pray right now that by your Spirit, you go down in deep into the soil of our souls and begin to do a healing work. Lord, hurt people hurt people. When people are hurt, they bleed all over everything that, that they come into contact with. And they don't mean to be doing it, but it happens, Father. I'm asking you to start healing your people from the inside out. So that instead of dripping oil or blood everywhere they go, they begin to drip oil for healing. For these women and these men that have come to the front, Lord. I just declare wholeness. Pastor Lee, would you come pray with me up here? Jeremy, come on. I just declare healing and wholeness, Father. Restoration, Lord. Restoration and healing and wholeness, Father, for your people. Lord, soundness of mind, soundness of heart, Father. I pray right now, Lord, for healing for all of these. Thank you. Heal this heart, Lord. You can do it. You can do it, Lord. Heal this heart, Lord. Thank you for sending. Heal her heart, Lord.
Listen to me. Listen to me. There's a there's an ancient art form. It's Japanese. Some of I've referenced this before, and I'm not the first. It's called kintsugi. Have you heard of kintsugi? It's a Japanese art form where a piece of pottery that has been taken, that has been broken, the Japanese would take a mixture of powder and gold and mix it together. And it, they would glue the broken parts of the pottery together with this gold until the, pot, the, the piece of pottery was completely put back together. And in fact, after the process was finished, the pottery would be worth far more than it was before it was ever broken in the first place. What I see this morning is God, gold is a, speaks of divinity, silver speaks of redemption. What I see is the Lord pouring in redemption and, and His divinity and a lot of broken people this morning. And when He makes you whole, you're going to be a whole lot more valuable to the kingdom than before you were ever broken. You're not going to walk in brokenness. It'll be seen that at one point this person was broken, but those broken places will be mended with the gold of His presence. That's what I see happening. This is our hope, the anchor of our souls. We have this hope as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into, the, into that within the veil where the forerunner of our faith entered for us and is now a high priest forever. When you leave this place today, I want you to take hope with you. When you leave this place today, I want you to believe in the promise as much as you believe in God. If he's the one that made it, then he puts his own vow, attaches it to his promise and says it's going to come to pass. Now, I don't care if you're four or 400. I want you to leave here with hope. The Lord is in the business of mending families. He's in the business of mending hearts. He's in the business of mending marriages. In fact, he's always been in the reconciliation business. And so I just thank him to have his way this morning. While they're still up here ministering and they can stay.